welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Church, I love that graphic. Uh, I just hope you had just a great time of, of reflecting on it, of contemplating, of thinking, of meditating on it, of really looking at it like an art piece, because that's what it is. Because, because uh, th- this week we asked you to focus on uh, the languages on there and how the love lights up these languages. So on there, you live what you love is translated in different languages, and hopefully. Uh, you saw a language that's familiar to you on there as well, which is kind of cool that our church has all these different languages represented in it. And, and uh, so what it's supposed to depict there is that there's this transcendence and there's tr- this transculturalness to love. And last week we talked about God's love and how we experience God's love, how we, how we learn from God's love, how it forms us, how it shapes us, how it how it has become the source of our vocation, of our calling. And so we love God uh, because we've experienced his love and, and we love others. And so today we're talking about what that looks like. And so you have their different languages uh, because loving your neighbor as yourself is key in this. That is the natural outflow of your vocation of God uh, loving you and you loving God and you loving others. Your natural outflow, the purpose of your vocation is to love others, is to love others. Well, uh, that's hard for us, just to be frank. You, you have all these different languages represented, and, and guys, pick a couple places in the world and pick two languages, and you're going to find a bunch of wars because people don't know how to love their neighbor. You have nations warring against nation, language groups who are warring against language groups. Guys, this goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis and the Tower of Babel, where, where, where you have uh, language and dispersion and then wars and, and all these things. So um, as we talk about loving your neighbor, we're going to focus on that today, on this verse, where the second part of the lawyer's response, to love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus affirming that that is right, that, that, you, will live, that you will live if you do these things. But again, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with loving our neighbor. And then we're going to take this concept, and we're going to specifically apply it to marriage. And we're going to talk about family and marriage and that relationship. Uh, but as we struggle with it uh, together, uh, I think the gospel writer here, Luke, he sets us up well for this because, in a, in a good way, uh, because he talks about the theme of humility leading up to this passage in, in Luke. And you may be saying, well, I don't have an issue with pride, which, as C.S. Lewis says, it means you do have an issue with pride if you think that. So let's all kind of humble ourselves right now and hear from Luke here as he, as he puts together uh, this gospel for us, as he writes this, and, and he highlights, like I said, this, this theme of humility for us, of, of humbling ourselves. So leading up to this, in Luke chapter 9, you have this argument arise among the disciples. And their argument is, well, which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is better than the other one? And that's not a very love your neighbor 
attitude here, right? They're trying to figure out which, which disciple is the best one. Uh, which one is Jesus like the best? Which one does he love more? And, and then after that, uh, well, you know, Jesus teaches them. Uh, he, he talks about uh, children, actually. And, and he says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Uh, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. He, f- he flips it. It's an upside-down kingdom, right? And then, and then it goes on, and Jesus is going through, um, through the, the countryside, and he comes across a village, which we'll talk about that next week, actually. He comes across a village, and uh, the village rejects him. And James and John, the sons of thunder, they come up and they say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? And of course, Jesus has to rebuke and correct them, train them in righteousness. And he says, he says, uh, no, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. Let's, let's, uh, let's be humble here. Uh, and, and then you have uh, the return of the 70 or the 72 uh, that, that, go, that Jesus sends out and they come back. And they're so excited in this passage in, in the early part of chapter 10. Uh, the first part of chapter 10, and they're so excited about it. They're, they're so excited that the spirits are listening to them, that the spirits are subject to them. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that power. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Basically, rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the thing that you had no, uh, that you had no part in play, like that, that, you, that you did nothing for. You didn't do anything for your salvation. Rejoice in that. Be humble, guys. Be, be humble. He's, he's teaching his disciples. And then at the end here, right before this passage, starting in verse 21 and following, in chapter 10, we see Jesus blessing his disciples as, as receiving eternal, they're receiving eternal things of God as little children. He's blessing them to do that rather than as those who are all wise and all understanding. He says, receive them as children. Have a childlike faith. Receive it that way. So humble yourselves, humble yourselves. And then we get to this passage where the lawyer, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, says, well, what do you think? What does the law say? What is basically, what did I say back then? And, And the lawyer says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you've answered correctly and you will live. But here's the question. What if you don't love yourself? Jesus says here, the scriptures say, back in Leviticus 19 as well, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But what if you don't love yourself? What if you struggle with that? If you struggle with it, how can you love your neighbor? And I wonder if that's why so many of us struggle with loving our neighbor, because we don't know how to properly love ourselves. Now, before you, uh, uh, before you jump to any conclusions, um, some of you guys might be saying, well, yeah, I, I agree with that. We're supposed to practice self-love and self-care, right? Some of you guys might be saying, oh, that's just this um, modern psychobabble, all this stuff. Uh, and so let's, let's, let's frame this. Because apparently here, you can't love your neighbor unless you know how to properly love yourself, right? So 
We need to figure out how to do that. And, and you're right, modern psychology, self-help gurus would, would say it this way. They'd say, well, well self-love is like this. Self-love is, uh, and this is a general definition that, that you would find, self-love is a state of appreciation for yourself. It's a state of appreciation for oneself that grows from actions that support our physical, psychological, and spiritual growth. Okay? Self-love means having a high regard for your own well-being and your own happiness. Self-love self means taking care of yourself, taking care of your own needs, not sacrificing for the well-being, sorry, not sacrificing your well-being in order to please others. That's your general psychological definition of self-love, of self-care. And it's, it's, not, it's not all bad. It's, it's, it's almost there. But this is how God would say things. He'd say, well, you didn't even know how to love until I first loved you. And how did I do that? Well, I sacrificed myself for you. I gave all of me for all of you. And, and I did this by giving you my best. I did this by giving you my time. I did this by giving you my love. I did this by giving you my very self. God says that all through the scriptures. I gave you my very self. And so it's a little different from this self-love that says, um, maybe you shouldn't do that so much for other people. Because God says, well, no, that's exactly what I did. So then how do you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself? Well, first of all, listen to the sermon from week one. Second, I'm going to summarize it here a little bit. You got to experience God's love first. That is going to lead you to loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You give him your best because he gave you his best. You give him your time because he gave you his time. You give him your love because he gave you his love. You give him your very self because he gave you his very self. You give him your everything. If you can do that, then you can fully love your neighbor as yourself because in learning to love God, you've learned to love yourself properly. So see, guys, learning to love God, experiencing God's love and, and loving God, that's part of experiencing God's love. It's two sides of the same coin. We love God because he loves us, right? Experiencing that heals you. Experiencing that helps you learn how to love yourself properly so you can love your neighbor properly. And again, just to be clear, I said this last week too, but just to be clear, this doesn't happen like when you Figure out how to love God, then you love your neighbor. It's not linear like that. Don't segment it. Don't silo those things. It happens simultaneously, guys. We're not going to do it perfectly. It happens all together. We're learning how to love God. We're loving our neighbor all at the same time because one flows out of the other. And it flows out of us to others. And so essentially then, a rejection of neighbor love, those of you who are like, well, uh, okay, I, I hear that, but I can't love everybody, right? I mean, I can't, I can't love everybody. I can't love that neighbor. Well, essentially a rejection of neighbor love in practice or attitude is a rejection of God's love and your own need for it. So essentially you're saying, well, I reject God's love. If that flows out of that, if that flows into neighbor love, my love for God and the neighbor love, and I don't want to love my neighbor, well, I've, uh, you've rejected God's love and, and you've rejected your perceived need for it. 
And so that's why it's so important to start with the love of God, because you can't love your neighbor unless you start with the love of God. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you properly understand how to love yourself. Right? So here he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 29, the lawyer responds, well, he's trying to justify himself, which we tend to do, right? <laughs> he's trying to justify himself. And so he says to Jesus, well, oh, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? We normally define neighbor as those like us, right? If you think about, um, or if, if you've ever lived in a suburb, uh, everyone, if you're in a neighborhood, everyone has the same house, you know, or similar house. Uh, you know, you have um, similar family structures, similar uh, pet structures, similar car, uh, cars, right? Like, if you live in a neighborhood where, um, you're not going to live in a neighborhood where everyone drives a beat-up old pickup truck and your neighbor has a Lamborghini, right? That's a different neighborhood, right? You're, you're, you're going to be a different neighborhood then. So typically, you're going to be, there's going to be a lot of similarities. So we think, sometimes when we think of neighbor, we think of those who are like us. Uh, but uh, here's an example in real life, my next-door neighbors. My next door neighbors on this side and this side, and then if you throw us in the middle, we're all completely different. <laughs> I mean, our family, our family structure is the same here, but they have a different, uh, the, the, the next door neighbors to one side of us. Um, even though family structure is similar, well, uh, their, their jobs are totally different. Um, uh, their philosophy of life is totally different. Their faith is totally different. Their religion is totally different. You know, all, uh, we, we, there's, there's so many different di distinctions there. Neighbors on the other side of me, um, their whole lifestyle is, is totally different. Uh, they actually look like they belong, uh, they, they actually don't fit the rest of our neighborhood, actually, because it's more, uh, it, it just looks different than them. So here, when we think about neighbor, I don't just want to think, us to think about people who are similar to us or who we want to associate with. And I think uh, the lawyer, when he's talking about this here, when he says, well, who's my neighbor? That's what he's thinking. He's like, well, yeah, I love my neighbor. I love the rabbi. I love the scribe over there. I love my fellow lawyer. I love the Pharisee. I love, I love um, you, know, uh, you know, Bartholomew from... Bethsaida, whatever. I, I, I love these guys. They're, they're all my neighbors. But Jesus, we're going to find out next week when he starts to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's like, well, this is actually your neighbor. Do you love this person? Right? And, and so when we think about neighbor, uh, what about the criminal? Right? What, what about the person who insults you or who berates you or who sabotages you at work? What about the person who has made racist comments to you? whether directly to you or on social media or, uh, you know, a figure, a public figure who does it? Uh, what about the person who has abused you? What about the dictator in another country who murders, rapes, extorts? How, how do we love that? Are we supposed to love that neighbor? Are they our neighbor? Well, what about the person who uh, has taken something from you? What about the person who threatens to hurt you or a family member? Are, are they our neighbor? Are we, are we supposed to love them, Jesus, like we love ourselves? What about uh, the person who just gets on your nerves? 
You know, a lot of you guys probably have that. Uh, and, and so we're not talking about big things. We're talking about little, like the person who just gets on your nerves, who your personalities clash, who just annoys you. Now, Jesus, do we really have to love them like we love ourselves? What about your spouse, who you've been in a continual argument with for years? Do you have to love them like you love your neighbor? What about your family member who you had a, an argument with and uh, who you have a brokenness with, who you had a rift with years ago. How does this work out for them? Are we supposed to love our neighbor then, Jesus? And so, when we talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, when we talk about loving your neighbor, marriage is actually, and family, is actually a very good place to start. Because... Yes, here's the reality. If we can't love those in our family, how can we love our neighbor? And if we can't love those in our church family or the larger family of God, how can we love our neighbor? Right, who's different from us? The, the things that we just talked about. Gene Vaith says this in his book, God at Work. He says, the family is the foundational vocation. The family is the foundation of vocation. It's, it's where your vocation, where you, where, where you loving God and loving neighbor actually foundationally is lived out. So if you have an issue with your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your, your spouse or your children or your grandparents or your aunts or your uncles or your cousins, you have a crack in your foundation. And if you have a crack in your foundation eventually you're going to have cracks in the walls of your house. Eventually you're going to have cracks in the floor. Eventually you're going to have cracks everywhere else. Eventually it's going to crumble because you've built your house on the sand, not on the rock. You haven't heard Christ's words and obeyed them like he says in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And if the family is a foundation of vocation, this means that you're to live out the love of God there, that's to be your foundation. And, and marriage is here because uh, in talking about marriage on this Valentine's Day, um, which, like Missy and I said earlier, we've really never celebrated, uh, but in talking about marriage, marriage is the most intense form of community that we've been called into in this, on this earth. Um, now, it's a spiritual commitment as well. It's not just an earthly one, but it is not an eternal one either. Right? That's why I say an earthly, it's, it's on this earth. And here's the truth with uh, marriage <laughs> a lot of times and, and many of our relationship decisions, I should say. Uh, this is from cultural commentator David Brooks. He says, he says, everybody spends too much time appraising the other person when making marriage decisions. But the person who can really screw things up is you. He says the person you should be appraising is yourself, not the other person. He also says marriage is a 50-year conversation. I love that. I love that. You know, we talked about the, the hearts earlier, the conversation hearts and, you know, what it says on that. Uh, if that's the extent of your conversation, that's not going to be a good 50-year conversation. The person you marry, your spouse, the person you want to be in, people you want to be in a relationship, you should, 
uh, you should ha- be able to have conversation that's so stimulating with them, right? Because in marriage, you've committed to that, you know, and he uses 50 years, but he's just using that as, an, as a, a big number, right? Because that's kind of the, the, the big one. Um, that's, that's huge, right? You're committing to something really big there. And if you're aspiring to be married, or if you are married, are you ready for that commitment? Did you realize that was the commitment you stepped into? Some of you guys can't even commit to an R3 or to serve, other, or to serve others or serve on a team or, or, or anything like that. But you've made this huge commitment into a 50-year relationship conversation or more right, in your life. Are you ready for that? Guys, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, here's, here's, uh, this will be a little bit of a confusing statement that I'm about to make, but, but bear with me. If, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you'll never be able to love a future or present spouse as yourself. So if you're aspiring to be married, if you think I might be married one day, if you, don't, if, if you haven't experienced the love of God and you aren't, and you aren't uh, loving God and then loving others, that isn't flowing through, that isn't your vocation, that isn't flowing through you, that's going to be a really hard 50-year conversation for you with that spouse. That's when marriage is really hard. When the love of God isn't defining you. The love of God isn't defining them. The love of God isn't flowing out of you and into them. And if you don't, if you aren't able to love your neighbor as yourself, you will never be able to do that. Then on the other side, if you're already married, if you don't love your spouse like yourself, as Paul says we should do, uh, you'll never be able to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's that side of it too. You're already in this foundational family uh, sphere of vocation. And so if you don't love your spouse as yourself, you'll never be able to love someone outside of that yourself, your, your neighbor as yourself, because you can't even do that with the neighbor who's closest to you, which is your spouse. Because you can't even do that with the one who, is, uh, who loves you the most in this world, which is your spouse. So how are you going to do that out in the rest of the world? So if you're already married, well, then you better start right there with your spouse. Not with your kids, with your spouse. And start there. If you're aspiring to be married, Start with neighbor love. Start with neighbor love. Because you will never be able to love a spouse the way you should without it. Here's the reality for most of our relationships, guys. When suffering happens in one of those relationships, that moves our neighbor love to a, a harder commandment, a more difficult commandment, the commandment of loving your enemy. Because when there's a rift in a relationship, when there's an argument, that person is automatically now against you, right? Again, we talked about rival schools last time. They're, 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 that person is against you. So they become your enemy because they want this and you want this, right? Conflict happens, which if you're married, you know conflict. Conflict happens a lot. It's, it's, it's two people becoming one flesh. Conflict is bound to happen. But if, you're, if your uh, purpose is neighbor love and you're living out that vocation of loving God through that, it's going to make it so much, so much easier. But when this happens... We struggle with loving that person who's against us. And, and, and that, 
actually reveals our true nature, it reveals your true identity, it reveals your true character. That's when character really comes out because you're not thinking. Character, character comes out when you just react. Character doesn't come out when you've had time to think and process and then you move. When you react, that's when you see someone's true character because that's what's underneath the surface. And, and this, is difficult. Uh, this is difficult for us because our relationships aren't actually defined by God's love. Many of our relationships aren't defined by this agape, this Greek word for God's eternal love, this, this love that is perfect. Because a lot of our relationships, think about your marriage, or think about your boyfriend, girlfriend right now, are not defined by this God love. They're defined by a lesser mortal love. A love that isn't the love of, the, of 1 Corinthians 13 that says love never ends. It's a love that does end. It's mortal. It can be killed by conflict. It can be killed by your enemy having someone against you. And it changes the way you view that person. That's not God immortal love. This is a mortal, human, natural love. And a lot of our relationships, let's be honest, aren't defined by God love. They're defined by this love that dies. Because when someone says something that you don't like at, at this church, your first impulse is to go to another one. When, when someone says something you don't like, your first impulse is to not talk to them anymore, is to block them, defriend them, just ignore them. Because, it, because those relationships are defined by a mortal love, not an immortal one. You haven't fully experienced God's love. You're not fully loving him with all that you are. All right, so... so uh, for those of you who are aspiring to be married, for those of you who are already married, you hope to enter into, or like I said, you have entered into this, this very intense commitment. Um, and, and guys, guess what? Kids intensify it even more. Uh, but this earthly marriage is also a mortal relationship. It'll end one day. It's not forever. It's temporary. And like I said, sometimes it's defined by a mortal love, not an immortal love. So think about, so here's a question for you. Why do you want to get married? Why do you stay married? I remember when I was on my wedding day, someone asked me, why, why do you want to marry Missy? And, and I said, well, I, I love her. And uh, it was my youth pastor from um, previous years. He said, on my wedding day, like 30 minutes before I was going to get married, he said, um, you don't know what love is. And I was like, get out of here. <laughs> I was like, whoa, um, okay, thank you. Um, I guess I'll just process that later on my honeymoon, right? Um, and it didn't take long for me to process, actually. He's absolutely right. I had no idea what love was. I had no idea. I was just barely scratching the surface. I had this, I had this natural human love, and it's not bad. I had this, uh, what, what the Greek would say, an eros-type love, or a philia-type love, a friendship love, or an affection-type love, right? Like, I, I, had, I had that type of love, but I didn't know how to love Missy like I'd experienced God's love. And I don't even know if I'd experienced God's love that fully yet. And so I learned, and I grew, and five years later, I thought, man, I had no idea how to love her. Ten years later, I thought, man, 
now coming on year 17, I'm like, wow, do I, do I really know how to love Missy? I'm just still learning the depths of God's love here. The good news is these lesser loves, we don't discard them. They help us experience the greater love, the immortal love. So instead of falsely dichotomizing uh, agape and eros or, or whatever, uh, James K. Smith, that philosopher I mentioned last week, he would say that agape, uh, this perfect God love, actually rightly orders our other loves. C.S. Lewis would say this, he says, he says, the natural loves attain their perfect state in divine love. So we don't throw away our silver just because we got gold. We keep both, and it helps us put them into perspective. So you might be saying, well, that sounds great. That sounds good. That sounds like it could work. Uh, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've suffered. I can't love my neighbor because I've suffered so many things at the hands of, of neighbors. And you're right. I, I, I don't know what you've been through. And I'm really deeply sorry for the pain and the suffering that you've been through because that is not God's design for us. It's not God's design for you to go through this pain and suffering. Um, and... and and, and that would hinder you from experiencing God's love, from, from loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, because something that really prevents us from realizing our vocation, this vocation of, of God's love and of loving God with everything that we are and of loving our neighbors as, as ourselves with all of our minds and all of our hearts, something that prevents this from happening is trauma. And generally speaking, there's two types of trauma here. Uh, one is when bad things are done to you or happen to you. And the second one is when good things aren't done to you or don't happen to you. There's, there's two types of trauma here, and I love how Jim Wilder talks about this in his book, Renovated, uh, where one is, is something bad was done to you. The other one is, well, they withheld something that was necessary and good for you that you should have experienced. And for, a lot of, and for a lot of you, that good, necessary thing that was withheld from you, not that there wasn't bad too, but that goodness thing that was withheld from you is God's love, is experiencing his love, is, is uh, this invitation into God's love. And, and you have to open yourself up to God's love. You have to attach yourself to it. It's this attachment type love where, where psychologists say in attachment love, and you can look at attachment theory for this, you find your identity because it shapes who you are, it shapes your very character, it shapes the very essence of your being. And so when you attach yourself to God, the ultimate being, the ultimate love, it changes you, it heals you, it, it brings joy into your life. But you have to open yourself up to that to go through the trauma. Because when, you, when it starts to find who you are, it starts to shape how you live. And you start to live what you actually love. And if you don't open yourself up to God's love, you will never be able to love others fully. You'll spend your life looking for love in the wrong places. It'll leave you unsatisfied, empty, unfulfilled, leave you empty, broken, just always searching. And it's only love of God that will order all things properly in your life. God's love orders all other things. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis out of his book, The Four Loves. He says this, 
He says, we may give our human loves the unconditional allegiance which we owe only to God. Then they become gods. Then they become demons. Then they will destroy us and also destroy themselves. For natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They're still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred. As when you sit in that trauma, when you sit in your brokenness, when you sit in your emptiness, when you dwell in darkness, that's what happens. Those, those misplaced allegiances and loves become your gods, and you replaced one god for the true god. You replaced this allegiance for your true allegiance. You placed a lesser love for ultimate loves. And they don't, they're not even loves anymore because there's a war and a battle. They just, they're just agents of hatred. But again, to remind you, Jesus says in here, we went from verse 27 to verse 29. Jesus says in verse 28, do this and you will live. You'll experience abundance. You'll experience this life that you're always designed for. You'll experience this transcendent way of living. He's, he's gonna, you'll experience a different quality of, of life. You see, whether you're in an earthly marriage or not, we're all in a spiritual one. All of us who are followers of Jesus, where he's the groom, we're the bride, and we're all in this marriage. And it was our first marriage. It was, it's the only one that matters. Which means our love for neighbor, our love for family, flows out of God's love And then we can love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. So then, loving others isn't something we do. It's something we are. God is love. And when God is love, like the Bible says, and your identity is in Christ and you're formed and shaped by that identity, love isn't a chore. Love, loving others isn't a skill that you have to learn. Loving others isn't even a royal duty of a child of God. It's just who you are. God is love, so now you are love. So loving, loving God, it's not an issue. Loving your neighbor as yourself, not an issue. Loving your enemy, not an issue for the kingdom character. God's inviting you into that this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your example in this thing, for the simplicity of the faith again. Thank you for uh, this kingdom character and citizenship that you're building in us. And so do your work in us today. We ask that in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.